stay caught through the storm. And um, yeah, my prayer is that um, it'll mean as much to you as it has to us um, as we've been preparing for it. Um, I know we just came out of a pretty fun series. Uh, if you could just let everybody know that if they come back, we'll, we'll show video clips every week. They, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where we went, uh, and uh, but come back, please. No, let us go. Come on, let's pray with me. Let's see what God has to say today. God, you are faithful. Yes, you are. And each and every one of us who are here this morning are living examples of your faithfulness. Yeah. So God, if we have not said it enough today, thank you. Thank you for so much. God, thank you for those evident things, Lord, that we, we point out all the time. Life, health, provisions. But God, also thank you for those things that we take for granted. And forgive us, God, for not seeing you in the spaces, in the small spaces, Lord, where you, you operate regularly. God, thank you for just the opportunity to gather this day. I know, Lord, there are some of us, Lord, who have had such a trying week that they needed to come in here and to have an encounter with you. So I pray, God, that it's not in vain. I pray, God, that the void, the pain, the emptiness, Lord, the, the hunger that they were needing, Lord, that you fill their bucket this morning. And that they can leave from this place renewed, rejuvenated, revived, and alive. Now, God, for this moment of preaching, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in your sight. For God, you are our strength and our redeemer. And it's your name we do pray. Let every heart say amen. 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 If you've got your Bibles, I ask that you open them up to the gospel according to Matthew. Uh, chapter 14, uh, we'll begin at verses 22 and we'll finish there at verse 27, reading from the New International Version, and of course it will be available for you on the screen. Um, Matthew chapter 14, beginning at verse 22, this is what you'll find. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. 
Brothers and sisters, my assignment for today is to talk to you as we go through this series, Through the Storm, about from calm to chaos. From calm to chaos. Let me show you what we're talking about and highlight a moment for you. I trust that uh, I'm, I'm amongst family and friends, and so I can be transparent and open, and you won't judge me. Or, you know, that you'll keep your laughter to a minimum, okay? Can, can we... Y'all failed already, failed already. I, I remember it was a few, few, few years ago, and um, uh, if you know anything about me, no, I, I love the mornings, especially uh, when it's warm, like, like today, when it's not too hot or too cool in the mornings, and I can go out on my porch, I can drink coffee and have my devotion time, and just really kind of rest in the presence of God. I, I enjoyed those mornings. On, on one particular time, there was no school, so I was able to slow down, not worry about rushing off to take my daughter to school. My wife had left for work already, and so I'm sitting there drinking my coffee, got my scriptures, really getting it in, spending some good time with Jesus, and then time for me to prepare and go out and meet the world. I, I, I go, I grab my clothes, I prepare to head down to the basement. My family doesn't let me use the restrooms upstairs. They kicked me out, and so I have to go down to the basement in a cave, and that's where they placed me. And so I headed down to my cave where my wife and daughter placed me, and, uh, and I took a few steps, and I, I fell down about eight stairs all the way down to the basement floor. Got up, thank God nobody was home. My daughter was asleep, so she was there, but she didn't recognize it. And so I got up, and, uh, and I got the iron and ironing board out preparing because I was raised in a way by my father. You don't go out to the world wrinkled. And so I, I was going to iron my clothes. I plugged in the iron. I walked away for a few moments, came back, and the iron wasn't hot. I messed with every cord, every dial. Nothing would work. The iron was broke. And, uh, and for you all, you don't know me that well. That's a big deal for me. Uh, and so I'm, I'm now irritated because I've fallen down eight stairs. I, I'm trying to get my clothes ready, and, and I can't iron. And um, so I decide I have no other choice because I have things to do but to go out to the world today wrinkled and inappropriate. And so I, I get showered and dressed, and I go out to the world, and I say, you know what, let me just get me a cup of coffee, and uh, when I'll get to the office, I'll get my day started. I stop at the coffee shop. I grab my coffee, hop back into the car. I pull off, and as soon as I pull off, a car shoots in front of me and stops short. When they stop short, I spill a third of my coffee over my wrinkled shirt, pants, and the seat of my car. And I just sat there. Because I, I, my day started off so, so good. Good time. <laughs> Me and Jesus hung out for some time. And, uh, and I did everything right. And in just a matter of moments, life just went crazy real quick. And so I sat at the light. And if I was to turn left, I'd go to the office. Turn right, I'd head back home and try to start all over again. And so I decided to turn right. Uh, well, for one, because I needed to put on some clean clothes, uh, even though they were going to be wrinkled again. Y'all ever had moments like that where things were cruising for a moment? Things were fine just for the time being, and just in an instant, it changes. It goes from, from calm to chaos. That, that's when you are actually in the midst of a storm. When it hits you like that, like it's not 
a meteorologist, a spiritual meteorologist doesn't pop up on your phone or give you some alert to let you know that a storm it is headed your way. It just happens and you find yourself in the middle of something trying to figure out how did you get where you are. Now, I, I grew up in the old church and the old saints used to say, listen, you're in one of three places. You're either headed into a storm, in the middle of a storm, or coming out of a storm. But all of us, no matter where you are, a storm is a part of your reality. And in case you're unfamiliar with the terminology there, basically a storm, storms are synonymous with trouble. And trouble is a reality for each and every one of us. And it makes no difference who you are. Trouble doesn't care where you live. Trouble doesn't care if you have a PhD or a GED. Trouble doesn't care if you're 25 to 85. Trouble doesn't care if you live in the west or the east. Trouble does not care about any of those things. In fact, I love it. The old soul singer Marvin Gaye used to say it best. There's only three things, that's for sure. Taxes, death, and trouble. And for all of us, no matter who you are, trouble will find you some way, and it will get in there. And in our passage today, I feel like the disciples can certainly relate. Now just envision this moment for me real quickly. Imagine what they're experiencing. They've just witnessed one of the greatest miracles that Jesus ever performed. We, we know that because it's the only miracle recorded in all four of the Gospels. That's the feeding of the 5,000. They, they're out in the wilderness. It's getting late, and all of a sudden, they try to figure out, what are we going to do to feed all of these people? And Jesus is brought, uh, is brought to him just two small fish and two small loaves of bread, and Jesus feeds. The Bible says 5,000 men, and so it can be you know, anywhere from 10 to 15,000 people ultimately with two fish and five loaves of bread. Can you imagine how high they must have felt? You ever just had like a, a wonderful church service? Man, when the spirit was high, the music was great, the preaching was much better than one church's. I mean, God, it was just really good. You ever have those moments where you felt like, man, when I, when I exit the doors of the church, man, things are going to be wonderful. You're ready to tackle it. You're ready to face tomorrow with new and renewed strength. You ever had those moments? Oh, my God, I can imagine, man. They experienced something so amazing. Imagine now Jesus instructed them to go on ahead of them. They leave from the setting. They are walking together. And I can only imagine the conversations. Did you see Jesus work? Where did the fish and the loaves keep from, coming from? And can you imagine the little boy left with 12 basketfuls? How amazing is it that he's able to go home with all that? The energy that they must have felt from that moment was probably intoxicating. They find themselves, man, just in conversation. They get into the boat in what was probably a very normal thing for them. It's probably a routine trip. I'm sure if they've crossed this sea, the Sea of Galilee, this lake, probably more times than they are able to count. It's just a, a regular routine trip, just across about three to five mile trip across this lake. They've done it before. And I can imagine, man, still high, still in conversation. They are, are on the boat. Jesus went somewhere else, up on the mountaintop to pray. They're there talking about this, reclining, rejoicing. And all of a sudden, what should have been a routine trip, they find themselves in the fight of their life. From calm to chaos. The Bible says that as they were there, the boat was, the NIV says, buffeted by the winds and the waves. The, the word right there, buffeted, really implies some type of demonic 
transaction or hostility that's behind them, which means that it's quite possible what's happening is a spiritual attack, right? Spiritual attack. So take, for instance, I, I thought about this. My wife and I talked about this uh, the other week with Hurricane Dorian. Uh, Hurricane Dorian, man, when, when it hit the Bahamas, it settled over the island for 36 consecutive hours, almost intentionally pummeling the island. It didn't move. It hovered and did a work for 36 hours. Hours. When I think about what they experienced, I think about Hurricane Dorian. Let me say this parenthetically, too. Uh, this isn't 400 Club. I am not uh, 700 Club. I am not Pat Robertson, and I am not saying that God sent the storm to the Bahamas. So don't, don't quote that. What I'm just trying to point out is the viciousness to what that storm did to the Bahamas is what I imagine the viciousness that they're experiencing while they're there on this boat as the wind and the waves are fighting against them with demonic hostility, Matthew was communicating. Such, such a rough, a rough battle. And I, I think about this, man, and usually, check this out, when a storm hits, um, we find ourselves trying to do one of two things. We, 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 try, we try to figure out if it's either the devil coming at us or is it God testing us. Basically, what we're trying to do is trying to find someone to blame. Is it the devil tormenting or is it God testing? And one of the ways we know this to, to be true, and maybe you're not like me because I got some baggage. And so I, I start to ask this question, um, well, what, what did I do? Did I do something wrong that either would make the devil want to torment me or God test me? And so I start, I start counting back like, okay, this morning... Hold on, Jesus, I sat on the porch, I talked to you, I read your Bible, I, I had some good time in prayer. Now, how am I going to fall down the steps? How's my iron going to be broke? And how am I going to spill coffee all over? Jesus, I didn't do nothing to deserve it. Am I Y'all have those conversations? I have it all the time. Lord, Lord, what did I do? I said I was sorry. I really didn't mean it. I, I apologized. I, I tried to make it up. I, I have those internal dialogues because ultimately what we need to do is find someone or something to place the blame on. Who, who's behind the attack? I was wondering, is that the appropriate way to go about it? I don't always think so. I think what we need to understand as we figure out what is it like or how should we respond when moving from calm to chaos is not necessarily to figure out who is behind the attack, but the most important thing is to try to figure out not the opposition, but how will we respond? It's not about where it's coming from, whether it's a torment or whether it is a test. We got to figure out what do we do next, because here's what's true. Trouble will find you. That's a fact. But whether you're being tested or tormented, the turnaround that you desire is determined by how you treat the moment that you're in. I'm going to say that one more time. Trouble will find you. That is a certainty. But whether it is a torment or a test, the, the, the turnaround that you desire is how you treat the moment. What will you do next? And I love the disciples, man. The disciples resemble us. The disciples decide that if we're going to experience this storm, what we're going to do, we're going to fight. We're going to push our way through. Anybody else like that? You're a fighter? 
I, you know, I'm, I'm a fighter. I'm just going to fight my way through it. And uh, I figured oftentimes that I'm wrong so much. I figured that I, I'm smart enough and, uh, and I've got enough experience that I can just keep pressing and I'll fight my way through. So I thought about this. I thought about the disciples and, um, and I thought about their experience. And how, how, how they were going through all of this and how they were, they, were, they were fighting their way through. And so can you imagine? The Bible says, check this out, it's, it's late, all right? It's late because uh, they just finished an afternoon service. Now, uh, for those of you all who are unfamiliar with afternoon services, let me translate for you. Back in the day, yes, back in the day in the old school church, you used to start about, let me say, first service might be about 8 o'clock. Uh, then you would have Sunday school after the 8 o'clock service, and then you would have about a 10.30 to 11.30 service. That's when it would start, all right? That would go for a couple of hours. You have just enough time for to run around to get you some chicken or something like that uh, before the next service came, which oftentimes started at about 4 o'clock, all right? And then after the 4 o'clock service, usually wherever you were, they provided dinner after that service. That was a typical Sunday in the old school church. This is what the disciples are experiencing. This is old school church right here, not even church. Old school church right here. They've just had the afternoon service. The preacher preached a good message. Jesus preached. Thousands of people came and they experienced everything that he did. He fed the people, man. They all had dinner and it is late into the night. Usually you to get home to Sunday to about, man, 8, 9 o'clock, maybe even 10 o'clock at night sometimes, just depending upon how good it got going. And so it's late at night, it's after dinner, they're in the boat, they're reclining, and the Bible tells us that they are fighting not just for a moment, but from the evening to almost dawn. About 6 a.m. is what the, the, the scholars suggest. So there's rain, there's wind, and there's waves fighting against them. And they were in the boat just trying to make it to the other side. Now, check this out. Ordinarily, they just had to raise the sails. And they could recline until they got to the other side. But because there's rain, there's wind, and there's waves, now they got to roll. And they got to fight to get there because they don't know if they're going to make it. And can you imagine from about 10, 11 o'clock at night, Till about six in the morning, and you've only made it about three miles, or probably about at least two more miles to go. And they are fighting. They are fighting. They're fighting because they're fearful, because they don't know if they're going to make it. And they're fearful and fighting, and they are certainly fatigued. They are tired of this battle, rowing over and over. But then it gets late. I don't know about you all, but when I'm tired, my attitude changes. <laughs> there, there are some things that might come out of my mouth. And it ain't going to be praises to God. I'm going to tell you when I'm tired, I'm about saying some stuff. Yeah, everybody, let me ask you a question. Do you, you ever get tired of fighting? Does anybody ever get tired of fighting? I, I, I get tired of rowing. And I could imagine that as they're thinking, yeah, it was a high moment, but Jesus, that was a few hours ago. And you promised that you was coming with us. And now all of a sudden, when I'm in the fight in my life, I can't find you. And so they're rowing. They're fearful. And they are fighting. And they are fatigued. And I can imagine the stuff that's coming out of Peter's mouth. Because, you know, Peter had a sharp tongue. So there's no telling what Peter was saying. I can imagine as they're rowing, Jesus, where are you? You ever wish the things weren't so difficult? 
Like, have you ever had that internal dialogue that, Lord, I don't want to be like them, but for once, I just wish that my life, I could make it from point A to point B without any drama. I just, I just want things to be normal. I, 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 want a, I want a life and an existence where I don't have to worry about trouble always finding me in every situation. God, I want a life where I can certainly make it from one paycheck to the next without my bank account going into the red. Jesus, I want an existence where I don't have to always feel like I'm fighting and rowing upstream. Jesus, I want an existence where my family isn't always at each other. Jesus, I just want an existence where I don't have to fight so hard. Because that's what happens. When you fight so much, you get tired of fighting. And when you get tired of fighting, what comes out of you isn't always a full representation of who you are. Because what happens is eventually you begin to show the person that you work so hard to subdue. They're, they're fighting, rowing, buffeted, spiritual torment. But here's the thing. They are rowing against the waves, but they're fighting in the wrong way. Because if Matthew is insinuating that this is a spiritual battle, a spiritual moment, one of the last things that you do is try to handle a spiritual situation in the physical, which is so typical of humanity. Normally, when spiritual things come, rather than addressing them spiritually, we oftentimes try to figure out what can we do physically to keep fighting. And I know that many of us are in that place, man. We, we fight so much, and you get used to it, and you just know what to go through. In fact, some of us are not even just tired of fighting for ourselves. Man, you're tired of fighting for someone else where, where you want them to get it. Yeah, because they've dropped the oars, they've settled in, and they just figured out that I'm not doing anything else. And you done picked up the oars, and you're rowing. You're rowing for your family. You are rowing for your friends, hoping that eventually you make your way across to the other side. And when we're tired, rather than trying to figure out how to do it in our own strength, what we often have to do is figure out, where is the Lord right now? The disciples are there. Jesus instructed them to go to the other side. So keep this in mind. They are where they are in the midst of this storm, not because they've done something wrong. They found themselves fighting for their lives out of obedience. So what the enemy will often tell you is that where you are, you're there because you've done something wrong and that the Lord is intending to get you back or to punish you for some old sin or for something that you've done to somebody else. And I want you to know the God that you serve is not petty and he does not come back for you. He is gracious and merciful. And any other word in the middle of a storm that's not like that is straight from the words or the mouth of the enemy. You didn't do anything to deserve your storm. Storms just happen. Storms will happen. But here's what I love about it. They're, they're fighting. And they're going. You know, we, we, we can't make the people in the Bible look supernatural because none of these 12 here are. So I have to ask myself the question, 
how did they roll so long? Like, that's a very long time to be in a boat fighting those waves, not having capsized or they're still going. And then I thought about it. They weren't rowing in their own strength. There was, there was somebody who was there with them. There was somebody keeping them even though they weren't there. I, I thought about this, man. Isaiah talks about it. He says, those who hope in the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles, which basically is telling us that God will keep keeping you, and he's going to do so and so that you can hold it together when people don't even know how. This is what that means. People, when they hear your testimony, your story, and what you've been experiencing, they will not be able to tell or would not have been able to tell how you've been doing, what you've been doing for the length of time that you have. That's because your strength has been renewed and God has equipped you to soar like an eagle. What does it mean to soar like an eagle? An eagle soars regardless of the circumstances. You never know what it's experiencing. You never know about the atmosphere around it. An eagle is just being majestic like an eagle. What Isaiah is saying is when we're in the fight of the lives, the Lord will renew our strength. You won't even know how strong you are, and neither will other people. It says, but they will run and not go weary, and they will walk and not be faint. In this moment, they're rowing, and I can imagine that they don't even understand how they're continuously going. They don't understand how they keep fighting, but the Lord knows. We know this because of the next verse. The Bible tells us that as dawn approached, Jesus comes to them walking on the water. Wait a minute. That's not when Jesus was fighting initially. He wasn't fighting for them when he was walking on the water. That's in the verse 25. You go back to verse 23. You see that Jesus has been fighting from the moment that they've been in the water. Verse 23 says, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. That's, that's where Jesus was fighting initially. Up on the mountainside praying for them, Jesus was fighting for them. He was fighting for them. So rather than rowing, if Jesus is already fighting, what we ought to do is model Jesus' behavior and put out a request for help. Pray because Jesus is praying for you. And you've got to know that as you move through this storm that Jesus has been praying from day one. The Bible tells us in Romans 8, you can find it all over there. First Romans 8 tells us that the Spirit, the Spirit communicates. He talks to God when we have, don't have the words to say through groans. The Spirit advocates for us. But you go a little bit further, and the Bible tells us there that, that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and I. And I always think about it when I'm in the middle of something. That no matter where I am, Jesus is looking from on high. He's speaking to the Father, and he said, hey, take care of my daughter. Take care of my son. Make sure that they find a way through. Make sure that they don't give up Holy Spirit. Give them the strip to keep standing, to keep fighting, to not give up. He's fighting for you. Even even when you can't see him, he's still fighting for you. He sees it all. I know that oftentimes you feel like you're, all, you're the only one, but, but the Lord sees what's happening. He sees what people are doing. He sees how 
times are working out for you. He sees the pain that you're experiencing. The Lord sees it all. Not only does he see it and not only is he praying, but eventually he'll come and he will deliver you. So after he prays, he comes down. It's about nine. Jesus has been praying for a while. He's been fighting for a long time. He comes down and he comes down walking on the water. Now here's the thing. We've heard about this dozens of times if you've ever been to church. And uh, I, I'm going to be quite honest. I am, I'm not really overly impressed about Jesus walking on water. Kind of expecting to. The cool thing about this story is not Jesus walking on water. It is how he was walking on water. It's how. L listen to it real quick again. Verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Check this out. Um, um, Jesus, Jesus is walking on water. Um, it would be one thing if maybe it was one or two or, or, or a few of them, but the, they implies all of them saw Jesus coming. And all of them thought that it was a ghost coming to them. All of them thought it was a ghost they thought that it was some non-corporeal figure on the way. The reason why is because Jesus wasn't looking like he was walking on water in a storm. He didn't look like he was walking on waves and wind and walking through rain. Jesus looked like a ghost coasting through the storm. It didn't look like he should look. Jesus didn't get to the boat drenched. And he wasn't fighting his way through the storm like this. The implication here is that Jesus walked on top of the winds and the waves and he walked through the storm. That the very thing that they were fearful was going to snatch their life wasn't bothering Jesus at all. He walked through the storm on the waves at ease. It was so amazing to them in their rational minds is that there's no way that could be anything but a ghost because nothing could walk on top of the waves and nothing can walk through a storm like that, so it's got to be a ghost. And they cried out in fear, and, and, and I love it. Jesus says, hey, and I'm going to translate it the way that it really should read, uh, be courageous. I am, so don't fear. In, in, in the NIV, it says, uh, take courage, uh, it is I, don't be afraid. That, that's one way of viewing it, but if you translate it raw, it says, uh, be courageous, I am, don't be afraid. All right, so they said, listen, they said, it's a ghost, and Jesus says, be courageous, I am. So don't be afraid. Now, was, was Jesus saying, yeah, I'm a ghost? Don't, don't worry about that. No. Or some people say that Jesus was rebuking them for their lack of faith. I, I don't think either of those are true. I think Jesus was encouraging them, affirming them by saying, hey, be courageous. In the middle of your storm, be courageous as you're on the boat. I am. And when he said, I am, he's echoing the words that he spoke to Moses way back in Exodus. As Moses was preparing himself 
to fight the biggest battle of his life. And when Moses was fearful and fatigued of fighting the battle against the Egyptians, when he didn't know what else to do or what else to say, God spoke to him out of the bush and says, I am. And Jesus is echoing to the disciples as they are in the middle of the fight of their life rather than ensuring them that he's going to work it out. He reminds them of who he is in the first place. He reminds them in the midst of their storm of his divinity, that he is God. He is the great I am. And since he is the great I am, you don't have to fear. As a matter of fact, Jesus has another conversation, and he lets us know, man, the trouble will find us no matter where we are in our lives. He says, in this life, you will have trouble, but have courage because I am, I have overcome the world. And so my brothers and sisters, for this day, rather than informing you of some things that you need to do, some places or phone calls or passages that you need to read, the only thing I want to do is encourage you on the mindset that you have to have when a storm comes your way. And you need to know that the Lord that you serve is with you along the way. He's been fighting from day one, and not only has he been fighting for you, he will come for you, and he is even in the midst of the storm. The great I am. And this trouble is going to come and trouble is going to find you. When chaos comes, remember the great I am spoke into chaos and brought it into submission and created all things. And if he could do that with all things, certainly he can do that with your life. Certainly he can do that with your storm. And certainly he can change your situation. Amen? Come on, stand to your feet and let's pray.